0: Did you ever get a card, maybe uh, at Christmas, maybe on your birthday? Remember when you were a kid, you start to get a hang uh, that sometimes cards can have things in them that are valuable. You don't know that when you're too young, so you just rip it open and you're like, hey, there's this $5 bill and you're even ripping it up because you have no idea what it's all about. But then as you get uh, an understanding of the value of money, you open that card and sometimes you open it carefully, you know, because you're thinking, well, it came from my grandma, so she's probably put money in this. And so you carefully open it to make sure nothing falls out. Well, If you write a thank you card, sometimes you might be inclined to slip a note in there, just a personal note of thanks to the people who've looked after you, Janet and Noah and myself, as we travel around North America, we rely on the generosity of people and on the hospitality and generosity of churches to help us with vehicles and housing and petrol money and all those kind of things. And so we carry with us a stack of thank you cards that we disperse to people because we really are grateful for all that they have done for us. If you were to receive a thank you card from the Apostle Paul... You would want to open it carefully because if you open it too quickly, what would happen is the letter of Philippians would fall out because really the book of Philippians is a thank you letter written from a church planter to a local church. If Paul had sent thank you cards, it's my contention that the book of Philippians would have fallen out when you opened it because this book is really a thank you letter Oh, sure, it's full of robust theology. Those theologians among us are thinking, well, wait a second. Philippians chapter 2, isn't that the gnosis passage and the self-emptying? And then you start throwing out Greek words to make everybody impressed. And I'd say, well, yes, it's true that Philippians chapter 2 has some of the most robust theology on the incarnation in the entire New Testament. But while that's famous for its insight, at its heart... The book of Philippians is written by a church planter to a church that he founded to say thank you for consistent and generous giving. That's what the book of Philippians is about. And if you don't believe me, then turn to Philippians, and I will make an attempt to prove that that is the theme of the letter to the Philippians. If you look in the first chapter of the epistle to the Philippian church, and you look in verse 3, you will notice that it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Maybe some of you have had bad church experiences in the past. So you can honestly say this about every church you've ever been to, but when Paul thought about the church at Philippi, he was thankful. Thankful. He was grateful and he says, "God, I thank you that every time I remember the Philippian church, I am uh, they are warmly remembered." It's not surprising perhaps to find Paul thankful at the memory of this particular church. You'll perhaps reflect for a moment on how this church was founded. Do you remember back in Acts chapter 16, it's uh, you don't need to turn there, but it's this amazing story You remember Paul is looking for a meeting and on Saturday he goes down by the river and he finds that there's a group of ladies meeting for prayer and Paul engages with them. There he meets Lydia, this wealthy businesswoman who sells purple and he lodges with her. He was also dependent on others for their generosity just to host him. And so he stays there with Lydia while he's in Philippi. Then you remember he's confronted by this demon possessed slave girl who is really just pimped out by a group of unscrupulous men who use her demon possession to fortune tell for people in town and if you remember the story she is uh, converted to Christ and then we meet one more character of that founding of that church I hope this is giving some of the church planners among us a little heart if it If you wonder who is going to come to our church, we already have a a wealthy businesswoman and a demon-possessed slave girl. And then the third person he meets is a suicidal public employee, all right? Now, if you live public employee in Canada, you wouldn't be that suicidal. But in Philippi, it was not a great job because if you didn't do your job, you just got killed. And so there's this jailer. And when the chains fall off and the doors swing open, you remember that the jailer is preparing to kill himself. When Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And the jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you remember the story? And so the jailer and his family are baptized and they too join that early church plant in Philippi. I mean, I just get a, a good feeling thinking about that Acts chapter 16 event. It's a great story. And so Paul, when he reflects on this particular church, he remembers them well. And so he begins writing this letter and already flowing from his pen is this thankfulness for this church for who they are and for what they have done and for what they mean to Paul. It's a great moment. Not every letter of Paul is like this. You're probably thinking, well, yeah, but Paul's kind of a thankful guy. You know, he says thank you a lot. But not every letter Paul writes is like this. You remember the book of Galatians? I mean, if you don't read it in the King James English, you kind of blush a little bit because it's really strong language. Some of the harshest criticism in the New Testament is found in the book of Galatians. And what about the Corinthian epistles? I mean, 1 Corinthians is hardly 10 verses long before Paul begins with correction and straightening people out and criticizing people for what they've done in the church. So not every book Paul writes is like this. Philippians is unique in that Paul is saying thanks to a church for what they have given. Now, I know because I know how church people are. You're running ahead in your brain and you're thinking, yeah, well, in chapter 4 and verse 2, he says something mean to Euodius and Syntyche, so it's not all thanksgiving. It's not all unicorns and rainbows. And I'm like, okay, don't get too far ahead of me. It's true. There's one little verse about Euodius and Syntyche who are to be of the same mind in the Lord. And then Paul gets back to the business of thanksgiving. So this really is a book of thanksgiving. Look in Philippians chapter four and verse one, he says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and my crown. Let's see Paul saying that about the Corinthian church. Yeah. He was like, my rebels and my people that I would love to choke. You know, I mean, that's kind of what you see Paul saying to them, but not to the Philippians. No, these people are his joy and his crown. That is high praise coming from Paul. And Paul's thankfulness for this church that was in Philippi is and has a unique structure to it. You can read this as... The chapter one opens, verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, verse four, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm aware of this, verse six, I'm aware of this, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul's thanksgiving for the Philippian church has a structure. It's a joyful thanksgiving. Paul is filled with gladness when he thinks about this church. He doesn't say to them, you know, I'm thankful for all those Difficult lessons you taught me as you persecuted me and wouldn't do what I said. It's not like Pastor Steve saying, Well, we're thankful for COVID, you know, because we've learned some lessons. Well, it's not that kind of Thanksgiving, is it? It's no, it's joyful. It's, I am so glad for you. I make all my prayer requests for you with joy. That's the theme. But it's Thanksgiving is not just joyful, it's also confident. He believes something, that God will do something in the heart of these people. He says in verse 6, and I am sure of this, you see, this is a confident thanksgiving that Paul has. And then it's a proper thanksgiving. In verse 7, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. This is a proper way to feel about you Philippian people because look at what you have done. Look at how you have blessed me and how you have ministered to me. And so this is my contention that Paul is writing a thank you letter to a supporting church in Philippi expressing his thankfulness to them. All this thankfulness was predicated or built upon a partnership that existed between Paul and the church in Philippi. He told us that, right, in verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer for you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Paul says, the reason I am so thankful is because you and I, we're partners together. I love that word, partnership. It's koinonia. It's a, a word we might even use to talk about fellowship together. It's the church, and it's the church planter getting together in partnership to accomplish God's work. And Paul's thankfulness and his joyfulness flows out of this partnership was at the foundation of what he was doing around the empire. He formed a partnership with these folks, this unique group of people that God had assembled to form the church in Philippi. They were connected to Paul as partners. And I say it often, but it bears repeating that there is a very real and very necessary partnership that forms between a church and a church planter. Without a church, you cannot have church planters. And without church planters, a church can never do what God has called it to do. So you need church and church planters. Now they have different tasks. They have different jobs but they're both necessary. Sometimes the church is the one who prays. Sometimes the church is the one who gives. But there's still a very real partnership between church and church planter. Without you, I cannot do what God has sent me to do. And you, as a gospel-believing, Bible-believing church. It's your responsibility to spread the good news of Christ around the world. You do that through foreign missions. You've got the home mission thing down pretty well, I'd say, with a church planning organization within the walls of your church. But it's also your responsibility to spread the gospel around the world. And you do that by supporting and sending out foreign missionaries who go overseas to share the gospel of Christ. And that's what we're doing. So we're an extension of this church overseas, and it is necessary for us to go and for you to do the work you do on this side. We could not get the work of foreign missions done without both missionaries and churches who go. The partnership is a necessary partnership. If I said the name William Carey to you, you would immediately recognize it. William Carey was a missionary to India, But if I said the name Andrew Fuller, far fewer people would recognize that name. They would like, William Carey, I know, but Andrew Fuller, eh, who's he? Uh, Andrew Fuller was the president of the Baptist Missionary Society from 1792 until 1814. And when William Carey left for India, he told Fuller that he would go down into the pit if Fuller would hold the ropes at home. And that's exactly what Fuller did. Until he died in 1814, Fuller went about raising funds so that the missionaries with the Baptist Missionary Society could continue to go and serve God on the foreign field. That's the partnership. That's how missions gets accomplished. That's how it goes. Now, I told you that this particular thank you letter was focused on a supporting church. That is a church that regularly gave to the needs of Paul, the church planter. So, turn over with me to Philippians chapter 4, and I think we'll be able to see from the remaining verses in this chapter that this church was regularly and consistently giving to Paul's needs as he went and planted churches. If you look... And it's maybe a little bit difficult to, to piece together, but let me summarize it for you. When you support a missionary nowadays, it's kind of easy, right? I had somebody the other day say, look, I want to give to help that lady who had that baby because she has such a difficult life and want to give something to help her. And we stood at his computer. He, he typed in hunters 2 southafricacom He hit that. He clicked on the first thing that came up on Google. Then... He went on my website, he clicked on the donate tab, there's donate for USA, donate for Canada, he clicked on that, it took him to the site, he typed in the amount, he typed in his credit card number, he had sent, it literally took us five minutes, which is cool, right? I mean, that's great, it's, we've got all these conveniences, but when Paul was around, you couldn't send an EFT, you couldn't write a check, you couldn't you know, just take a picture of the check and it would deposit into his, it wasn't that easy. So in order to get money from the church at Philippi to Paul, where he was on the field, it was necessary for someone to carry the gift to him. So Epaphroditus, in the book of Philippians, takes the gift from the church at Philippi and hand delivers it to Paul, where he is located. You can read about this. We don't have the time for it, but in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, and then later in Philippians <clears throat> chapter 4. Uh, in verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So clearly, Epaphroditus comes to Paul. He's got this gift. Hey, Paul, here's the collection that we took up for you. Now let me give it to you. And Paul says, Thank you very much for sending Epaphroditus. Now, one of the problems was that. On his way to deliver the gift to Paul, Epaphroditus had fallen sick. Word gets back to the church at Philippi that their messenger, the guy who was carrying the bag, got sick. Now, if there's anything you don't want, it's the guy carrying bagfuls of cash getting sick. All right? Now he gets long COVID and forgets the money on the side of the road or something. Like, you don't want this. So the church was immediately concerned for Epaphroditus. What are we going to do? Epaphroditus, our messenger, the guy who's carrying our money, is sick. What are we going to do about it? And so, Paul writes back to say, hey, guess what? I'm going to send Epaphroditus back with this thank you letter to thank you for what you've done, and you can see for yourself that Epaphroditus has been healed. He is better now, praise be to God, Paul says, because if he'd have died, I don't know what I would have done. Paul sends that thank you letter back with Epaphroditus so that the church will see that Epaphroditus is now well. So, Paul's thankfulness bubbles up as he reaches the end of this book, he's thinking about Epaphroditus. He's contemplating the gift that has been sent. And he says in verse 10 of Philippians chapter four, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity. Paul writes and says, thank you for sending the gift. It's not the first time you've done this. And thank you for being consistent and faithful in your ongoing support. You were concerned for me. You didn't have an opportunity, probably because Paul never stayed in one place long enough to catch up to him. I think of poor Epaphroditus when he leaves. Is Paul going to stay where I've been told to go because he just doesn't stay in one place? Oh yeah, he's in jail. Perfect. I can get it to him. He won't go before I get there whatever the reason Paul says this church had no opportunity to give, we know that they were consistent in their giving to him. And so Paul says, thank you for sending this gift. Thank you for sending Epaphroditus. Thank you for reviving your concern for me. I'm grateful. But then in verse 11, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need. <laughs> Anytime a missionary gets up and says, you know that big check you sent me? I sure loved it thanks for sending that. I just framed that and put it right on my wall because I love that big check. Use. Do you have any more of those big checks that you would like? Because I'm happy to help you lighten the load a little if you need. That's not what Paul is doing. Paul is just saying, Look, I'm not, it's not like, hey, thanks for having me over. I'll see you next week when I come over again. It's just not like that. Paul says, I'm not trying to get another gift. It's not that I'm speaking of being in need because I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I love that. Paul says, look, when it's going well, it's well. When it's not going well, it's well. (laughs) Because Paul's Outlook his perspective, his life wasn't based on how much money was in his bank account or how many gifts were flowing in from churches he knew no matter what God was with him and he was okay so if it was plenty and hunger if that's what God if it was hunger God had for him, fine if it was plenty God had for him fine abundance need it was all okay with Paul because he had learned about being content. Let me just ask by way of pointed application. How are you doing with that? Have you learned this lesson? I know how to abound. I also know how to be abased. I've learned the secret of being content with plenty, but I've also learned the secret of being content when there isn't much else to go around. Paul learned contentment no matter the situation, whether he was in need or whether he wasn't in need. He was accustomed to being content with the circumstances he was in. In fact, in that context, the context of being content with whether we have a literal or whether we have a lot, Paul writes Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And don't look around, but probably somebody's got that written on a water bottle right now or some kind of secret magic card they got in their wallet that they pull out and read just in case they're uh, wanting to climb a big mountain or hike up Butterpot or something. You know, I mean, they've got all these. That's not what this means. We have so commercialized this verse that we've made it mean something it doesn't mean. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the application, because the context of that verse is actually occurring in, are you doing well or are you not doing well? Either way, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can persevere even in want because Christ strengthens you. That is the context of that Verse. Christ will strengthen your heart whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. But let's continue reading about Paul's thankfulness. In verse 14, he says, It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only even Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. He's just rehearsing with this church how faithful they have been in giving. When I was there, there was a gift. When I, when I first started out, when I didn't think anybody would, would support me, you guys did. And then when I was in another difficult situation, boom, gift arrived from you again. Paul says, you have this testimony, you have this record, you're just that kind of church. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, Paul says. He, he, Paul seems to take great pains at this because it's kind of unusual. A lot of places Paul went, he said, no, I don't want your money. Keep it. In Corinth, that's what he did. He worked making tents because he wasn't going to have anybody in the church say, oh, I know Paul. He's just in it for the money. No, he wasn't going to do that. So he worked making tents, but he received gifts from the church in Philippi. He was willing to take them. It was not that he was seeking a gift, but rather in verse 17, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit." Now this is an interesting thought and I think one worth considering. Paul isn't saying thanks so he can get another gift, he was living by faith, but his thankfulness caused him to desire that further fruit would abound to the church's account. Think of this church as having a heavenly account. And into it is deposited all the good that is done through the people who you support. And as good is done, there's credit that is put into that account for you. Now you say, well, what does it earn me? Does it get me salvation? Nope, it doesn't. It's not good works that accrue to salvation. It's good works that accrue to the praise and glory of God. We'll see that as this text closes. So, it isn't that we earn by foreign missions doing good work. We earn so that God will look down and say, Now, Calvary Baptist, that church is the apple of my eye. And hold Calvary Baptist up as some kind of example. That's not what's going on. What's going on is now, as this builds in our account, we are able to offer in praise to God the things that have been accomplished through our midst. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, look, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See? That's, That's the point I'm making, in case you are confused about what point I'm making. The point I'm making is that as Paul went out working on behalf of the church... The work that he did, the good that he accomplished, accrued a credit to the church's account so that they could, as Paul says here, offer it as a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. That's how it works. We give our lives so that your church can honor and glorify God. When Michelle was about to abort her baby and she doesn't, The good that is accomplished in that moment abounds to your account. When Brandon and Tondo and Seema, all young men in our Friday afternoon boys Bible study, when they come to Christ, your giving to keep us active in missionary service means that good accrues to your credit. It accrues to your account so that you can offer praise to God. Remember the words of Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, is actually written in the context of giving so that mission can be accomplished around the world. It isn't, well, I'm going to do this or that and I'm just going to claim God will supply every need of mine. What I really need is a brand new car. So My God will supply every need of yours according... That's not what this verse is about. This verse is actually offered in the context of giving to missions. My God will supply every need of yours. You have given and supplied our needs, Paul says, and I am confident that God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad he says according to God's riches and not out of God's riches? If I'm Elon Musk, to use a good South African, if I'm Elon Musk and you come to me and say, hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? I might take out my wallet and give you 10 bucks and say, there you go. Enjoy Be warmed and filled. But if you come and say, hey, Elon, could you lend me some money according to your riches? You're not getting 10 bucks. I'll tell you that. You're getting a big old chunk of change. Because it's according to, so Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And he ends this thank you letter by saying, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Look, I'm not an apostle. I do live in South Africa, and there are lots of people walking around in South Africa calling themselves apostles. I'm not an apostle. I don't believe there are apostles nowadays, the biblical qualifications for being an apostle past, right? But I'm not an apostle. Uh, My writings and my words are not inspired as Paul's were, but I do want to say, add my voice to Paul's and say Thanks. According to Romans chapter 1, when pagans knew God, they glorified him not as God and they were not thankful. So the failure to give thanks is pagan, it's not Christian. So I don't want to be that guy who doesn't say thanks. Paul did it, he gives us a great example in Philippians chapter 1. There should be no more thankful person than a church planter who has received numerous gifts from a church to support his work wherever that work is being carried out. And so I would say to you, Calvary Baptist Church, even though we all don't know each other super well, I know Steve well, and I know a number of you well from our life here in Newfoundland, but some of you I've never even met, but I still want to say thanks. Thank you. You have enabled us to stay in South Africa, to live in South Africa, to do gospel work in South Africa. You have helped and aided us in our life in South Africa. Over the course of our time that we've been there, the past four and a half years, our support from this church has increased. Not every church does that, I want you to know, but this church has. And so I want to say thanks. I trust that God will fill your account with credit That the good we do in South Africa will abound to fruitfulness in this church so that the lives of the people in this church can be offered as a pleasing sacrifice to God and God might be glorified throughout the earth. God is doing a work in South Africa and you are part of that work, an essential and a critical part. And so fruitfulness abounds to your account and we're back here just to say thanks. We want to say thanks. It seems like a long way to come maybe (laughs) to say thanks, but we're just that thankful that we wanted to come all this way to let you know that we are grateful. Even though I'll disappear after the service today and in another few weeks, other than Steve and his wife, you'll be thinking, who was that guy again? But thanks. You have enabled us to do God's work in South Africa, and you are to be thanked and commended for that work. And it's not just a work that I'm doing. It's a work that the church planters that are represented by Mile One Mission are doing, and the other foreign missionaries that you support, they're all doing a work right now. And I know if they had a chance to stand up here and say what I'm saying, they would say the same thing. They would say thanks. Praise be to God for what you are doing, for your faithful, consistent gifts. We so, so appreciate it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to just come back to visit with the good folks at Calvary Baptist Church, to catch a little insight into all that you are doing through Mile One Mission, through this church, in this community, through the other missionaries that are supported overseas by this ministry. Lord, we're in awe. We recognize that only a sovereign God who knows the end from the beginning could orchestrate such circumstances to extend the reach of the gospel around the world through churches like this one and people like me. Because, Lord, we're really just clay pots that you have filled up with an invaluable message, that, that, that message of the work of Christ and what he came to do. And now we go and share it wherever we have opportunities. So Lord, bless this church for its consistent and faithful support. Would you prosper it so that that ongoing support might continue until Christ returns? We pray this in Jesus' name.